off we go. All right. All right, so uh, we are in between series right now. Next week, we're actually starting our sermon series in Genesis. So we're starting off Genesis next week. Uh, but in the meantime, I uh, want to kind of, kind of follow up on what we talked about last week. We talked about how um, hey, we're called to, to cry out to the Lord to give us the things that we need, namely uh, that the eyes of our heart would be open that the eyes of our heart would be open, that we'd actually care about this gospel message, and that we'd seek to, to love Jesus and run to Jesus and put our hope in Jesus. And last week we talked about how one of those things is, is that Jesus offers us power. He offers us the power that we need to persevere in the Christian life. Now this week we're talking about that same perseverance, that same seeking after, after Jesus, looking for him to give us the things that we need, um, but ironically, we're looking at it kind of from the other side. Today, we're looking at the weakness of Jesus. The weakness of Jesus. And as much as we might think that, no, we want to talk about this powerful Savior, we also need to have this weak Savior who can sympathize with us and who knows what to ask for, who knows what we actually need, who knows that, that it actually is difficult to run the Christian life. To run and to run and to run. And to live a life of faith is difficult. We, we get discouraged. We get worn out. We're tempted to, to run the other way. And so today we're looking at, at the Jesus who understands that life and who can sympathize with us, who is weak with us, who struggles and is tempted with us. And my hope is that we come, come away from the Bible, but come away from this, this sermon, recognizing that, that Jesus was truly human, was truly human. I think we have this idea that as did Jesus, he, he was an Avenger, he was a superhero, that basically he, he was pretending to be human, but in the back of everything was like, well, yeah, but he's God, but he's God, but he's God. And so anytime he really had a crisis of faith, well, oh, he's God, he already knows everything. And any time that he encountered something that would, would require him to, to depend upon God, someone standing before him needing healing, we think, oh, well, he's God. He knows he can do that. He has all the power. That when he actually has a crisis or a temptation or a suffering, he just kind of kicks it into God mode, and he doesn't have to worry about it anymore. All right, that is not the Jesus of the Bible. We like to defend the, the godness of Jesus, which we should. But we also want to hold up the humanity of Jesus and recognize he suffered with us, he had faith with us, he was tempted as we are. And that because of that, we want to run to him because he, he will fight for us, he knows the things that we need. So with that in mind, let's turn to, to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. Now Hebrews sounds like a an Old Testament book. It's a New Testament book. Uh, towards the end of the New Testament, towards the end of the Bible, we're looking at Hebrews 4, 14 through 5.10. <clears throat> now, this whole book is, uh, is written to be an encouragement to those who are, who are running the race towards Jesus, who are fighting to believe. It's this passage is encouragement, one big book of encouragement. 
And so let's look at Hebrews 4, verse 14 through 5.10. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. He can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he's obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron, the first high priest, was. So also, so also, Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And he says also in another place, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who believe him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Let's pray. Father, we ask that as we are discouraged and as we suffer and as we are tempted, that we might run to Jesus, our high priest. That we'd know that there is one in heaven fighting for us and praying for us and sacrificing for us. Father, as we look to Jesus, I ask that you would give us the things that we need. And Father, would we have no fear of going before him? Would we receive mercy and grace knowing that that you needed those same things. You needed salvation, and we need salvation from your hand. So, Father, would you, would you give us this vital relationship with Jesus that we would not be discouraged because we, we know that he is on our side. We pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right. So the letter of Hebrews, it's written for encouragement, and we desperately need encouragement. We are people who are tempted. We are people who suffer we are a people who get discouraged. That's the reality of the Christian life. The, the author of Hebrews knows that. That's why he writes to, the, to these Jewish Christians. Because he knows that the Christian life is hard. That to endure in a life of, of faith is hard. And what he essentially says is, you know what? Get yourself a coach. Get yourself a coach. Get someone to, to fight for you, to help you. Now, there's different kind of coaches for all the different kind of things that we're trying to do. All right, you have financial advisors to, to help you build your finances. You have realtors to help you find houses. Thank God for them. <laughs> we're in the midst of that now, and it's a good thing uh, to have a realtor, not to look for houses. It's, it's horrible. Um, <laughs> you, have, you have a coach to help you get better at sports. Like, this is a good thing. Now, in the in the spiritual life, you have a high priest. You have a high priest. And the high priest is there to, to fight for you. He goes before God, 
and he, he fights for you. Chapter 5, verse 1, it says, For every high priest chosen among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. And so what a high priest does is he, first, he goes before God and he, he asks God for things. For things like faith and hope and truth and encouragement. He goes to God and he pleads on your behalf and he says, like, give these to your people. And he offers sacrifices for all the times that we fail when it comes to temptation, all the times that we run from God and all the times that we reject him. He offers sacrifices to pay for those things. And he pleads your case before God that every single time you say, like, I, I, I'm giving up, this is too hard, I'm not a good enough Christian. Jesus is standing there saying, like, God, God, don't let him, don't give up on him. Help him to keep fighting. He's, he's perfect because of my blood. Don't reject him. Keep, keep pursuing him. Keep fighting for him. That's what the high priest does. That's what the high priest does. And now, when you're shopping for a high priest, there are certain things that you're, you're going to look for. There's a checklist of what we need in, in our high priest. And ironically, it's the opposite of what we think. There's three things. We want a high priest who, ironically, is weak, who offers sacrifices for himself, and who is appointed by God. Now, the last appointed by God one, that one we expect. But this first one, we want a high priest who is weak. All right, why is this? Now, you might think, all right, off the first bat, like, you know, if I want someone to teach me, if I want someone to help me, I want the strongest, best person I can find. All right, there's a problem with that. All right, if you're going to the gym and Arnold Schwarzenegger is your gym coach, like, you might think, wow, great, he's, he's, he's done it, he's, he's good. He's me so light years above you, and he'll have no sympathy for like, oh, I, like, I just don't even want to wake up in the morning. And what's he going to say to you, like, I'm not doing the Arnold voice. No. <laughs> Everyone was waiting for it. Everyone's like, oh. I, I, do have, I do have like a, a thing wrong with my voice, so it's going to be real, real deep. Um, <laughs> he's like, no, no, just, just do it. Do it. Yeah, like he would just say that, and you'd be like, well, I don't, I don't get it. I don't really want to. And, all right, and like you always have those areas of life. I feel like I've had coaches in the past, and like I was not the person who was very athletic. I could do it, but I didn't care. I, I literally needed a coach to sit me down and be like, you need to try. <laughs> like, that's as basic as I know. Like, you have to care about doing well, and you have to try. That's the reality of where a lot of us are in the Christian life. Like, oh, like, I'm just really weak. I don't even know if I can. All right, we don't need the Christian superstar who just shames us and says, you know what, You're, you are terrible. Get your act together. We want someone who's weak and can, can say with us, like, yeah, this is really hard. And I've been just as discouraged as you have. I have been just as, just as tempted to run away. We actually want someone who can sympathize with weakness. And that's where verse 2 it says, that they, a good high priest, he can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. That we want someone who can say, yeah, I, I get discouraged too. Keep going. I understand. I'll help you. I recognize you need help. You don't just need to be told to try harder. Like, 
You need help, you need faith, you need truth, you need encouragement, you need community. I'll give you those things. That's what we want in a good high priest. All right, second, we want someone, according to Hebrews, we want someone who offers sacrifices for himself. Now, this sounds kind of weird. Also, verse 2, because of this, because of his weakness, he's obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins just as he does for those of his people. So just like we don't want a super strong high priest, we also don't want one that, that has never had to offer sacrifices, who's never had to cry out to God, who's never pled with God, who's never needed salvation. If we have a high priest who thinks that, like, you know what, I, you just need to try hard, that's not a good high priest. We want one that says, you know, I know that you can't do this. I know you need sacrifices to cover every single second of your day. Because I know that, that that needs to be, that's the case for me too. And that we have a high priest who knows that, that we desperately need God to save us, not just help us. To save us from ourselves because we cannot save ourselves. He offers sacrifices for himself. And finally, finally, the book of Hebrews says that we want a high priest appointed by God himself. Now, this one makes a lot of sense. No one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron, the first high priest, was. You don't just get to decide your priest. You have to be picked by God. Now, why is this one important? You want to make sure that your high priest actually has a relationship with God, can actually bring sacrifices that will be received. That when your high priest prays for you, and ask God for things, God will listen. And that's where we have to make sure we have a, a high priest that God actually will, cares about. You can't just pick anyone. And you can't pick yourself because you have no right to go stand before the throne of God and make requests and ask for gifts on your behalf. Like, but if there is someone appointed to do that, you need to get that person. That person will help you through the Christian life. All right, so get a good high priest. He'll help you through the Christian life. Now, I hope we're all seeing, seeing the, the light at the end of this tunnel that Jesus is the great high priest, that Jesus is the great high priest, and he's the great high priest for these reasons, because he's weak, because he offers sacrifice for himself, because he's the only one who's appointed. That's where verse 5 starts, so also Christ, so also, that Jesus is, is exactly the same as this high priest described here. And it starts with Jesus being the only one appointed by God. Verse 5, so also Christ did not exalt himself to be made high priest, but was appointed by him who said, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And he says also in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. You guys are like, I have no idea what that means. Don't worry too much about it. Um, Hebrews starts to explain this. It gets really deep. But essentially, he's saying that Jesus is the great high priest, that he is, he is the son of God. He's the son of God. And so he has this special position. If anyone has the ear of God, it's the son of God. 
And it's the one who has been tested by his father and proved to be perfect. That's actually part of the cross. The cross tested to see if Jesus would be the perfect son, if he'd be obedient to his father, if he'd do exactly what was asked of him. And he proved that he would. And actually, he, he qualifies as a priest for that reason, that he was willing to make the ultimate sacrifice, to make a sacrifice of his own blood, that he wasn't just this, this fake priest who was going to run out on his people. No, he, he did it. He stayed. He's willing to die for them. And as a result, he's, he's appointed as the priest of Melchizedek. That just means the priest forever. All right, he's not a temporary priest. He's going to be the, the priest forever that God himself has appointed him as the only high priest, the only one to be listened to. Now, why does that matter? Um, we talk about nothing but Jesus. We talk about nothing but Jesus because first, because in one sense, no, in, among the many senses, Jesus is the only priest. I am not the priest. I'm not going to heaven and offering sacrifices for you. You are not atoned by my blood. All right? I'm not going into heaven and bringing you gifts. Jesus does that, Jesus alone. All right, you are not qualified to be your own priest. Like, oh, I'm, I'm the child of God. I can go to him whenever you want. Like, no, you need a priest. He goes before you. Your parents don't get to be your priest. The most religious person in your life doesn't get to be your priest and like, oh, like, I, I, I know a Christian and like, he's talked to me a couple times. Like, no, you need Jesus. Sooner or later in the Christian life, you can kind of be like, oh, like, I have a pastor. I have, I have Christian friends. At some point, Jesus needs to be your high priest. And you choose him to be your, be your priest. Like, sign the papers. You're my real estate agent. Like, Jesus, you are my high priest forever. You're the one who's going to fight for me. I'm not going to look to anyone else. Nothing but Jesus. Now, that one, I think, is a given. I think we all understand that. But this, this next one, this next one, is weird because we're not used to thinking in this, these terms. That Jesus, as our great high priest, he offered sacrifices for himself. That he offered sacrifices for himself. Look at verse 7. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Now, what are we seeing here? This is, this is the author of Hebrews is trying to say, this is, this is an example of Jesus making offerings for himself. <coughs> making offerings for himself. That he's been in the position where he needs to be saved. And that he didn't have the power to do it himself. He desperately needed God to come down and receive him and save him. All right, this is where I think we need to change a little bit how we think about Jesus. How we think about Jesus. We say, yes, Jesus is the Son of God. But during his time on earth, he didn't operate out of his godness, he operated out of his humanity. His humanity. And so when Jesus stood before God and asked him for things, it wasn't God talking to God. It was him and his humanity actually asking and pleading to God. 
that when Jesus, when he stood and was crying out for God to save him in the garden, he wasn't thinking in the back of his omnipotent brain and his omniscience, like, oh yeah, I've already seen this from all eternity. I know I'm going to be saved. It's fine. No, as he was standing there, he was remembering the scriptures that said that the Messiah was going to be, saved, was going to be resurrected from the dead. And he was thinking about Jonah and how he was taken up from the belly of the whale. And he was thinking of these scriptures and he was putting his faith in God and he was trusting that God would save him. He wasn't just casually walking up and being like, you know, I, I know the future, here I go. Because if Jesus ever did that, if he ever kicked it into God mode, then all this whole passage would fall apart. And we'd have to say, Jesus has no idea what it's like to be human. Jesus has no idea what my life is like. I, I go out there and I have no idea what the day is going to hold. I have no idea how this suffering in my life is going to be used by God. I can't see the eternity ahead of me. I don't know I'm going to raise from the dead, but I have faith that it, I will be. All right, that's exactly how it was for Jesus. He lived by faith. He lived by the Spirit. He lived by the Holy Spirit helping him to believe. He lived by faith. All right, this is the same when he does his miracles. We think, oh, well, Jesus, he just, he just does miracles. Of course, he has tons of power. Like, no, he did his miracles by the power of the Holy Spirit. Dependent upon the Spirit, led by the Spirit, hearing from the Spirit. When Jesus gives, is given the, the Holy Spirit in his baptism, that's when his ministry starts, because now he has the power to do it. He actually had to trust God to, to do the miracles. All right. Why do, I, why do I say this? I say this because oftentimes we, we say this thing where we say, you know what, yeah, but he was God. Yeah, but he was God. That, that's everyone's favorite phrase when I'm like, oh, Jesus died on the cross. Like, you should probably forgive your neighbor because like, <laughs> they like stepped on your flowers or something. Like, you can do that. Jesus died on the cross for, for the sins of all humanity. But what do people say immediately? But Jesus was God. But Jesus was God. All right. That is, that is an insult to Jesus. Because it totally downplays the work that he did. When Jesus did it, when he walked his, this, this life on this earth, he did it in his humanity. And it's an insult to his work to act like, well, he just had supernatural power that did it all. No, he wrestled through as a human, as, as you and I try to, each and every day. But he actually had faith. And he actually depended upon the power of the Holy Spirit. And he was actually obedient. Every single second of every day. And that just makes the, the picture of Jesus so much more beautiful. That he actually did all of this, and like it's amazing. All right, as a second kind of, you are called to be like Jesus. You are called to do these things. And the same power that's in him is in you, the same Holy Spirit. And so, so don't think like, 
oh, the difference between me and Jesus is that he's God and I'm not. The difference is, no, he had real faith. That we are, we are ye of little faith. We are broken people. We love sin. We are tempted and tried. Now, why do I say that? I say that because Jesus knows what it's like to cry out to God and desperately need salvation. And when you desperately cry out to God and you need salvation and you need mercy and you need someone to fight for you, Jesus has been in that exact same position and has sat there wondering, like, I hope God shows up because otherwise I'm doomed. You have a high priest who's been in that exact same position and is pleading with God on your behalf and saying, like, they're crying out, God, help them. Give them the gifts that they need. Give them, give them faith. Give them truth. Give them encouragement. Give them life. He is fighting for us. He knows exactly where we are. When you cry out for the, for the blood of Christ to wash over you, for salvation to be yours, Jesus has been right there, and he wants to give it to you. He wants to give you the same salvation that he desperately needed. Finally, finally, Jesus, Jesus was weak. Jesus was weak. Verse 8. Although he was a son, although he was a son, so not because he was a son, but although he was a son, yes, he's a son of God, but he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. So what is this saying? He had to learn obedience. He had to be, he had to be made perfect. At some point, Jesus was weak, and he was immature, and he was ignorant. That's just the reality of being a baby, all right? Jesus didn't have this, like, supernatural thing where he could just quote the Bible from age two. I think we, we think that about him. And that, like, he never had to mature in the sense of, like, oh, I need to suffer so that I have compassion for people and, and grow in understanding. No, he did. And Jesus read the scriptures to understand what God was like. There was a point where he was ignorant to who God was and to his own calling. He, he had to learn these things. That's where we see pictures of him like at the temple just like eating up the word of God. He knows how to deal with the ignorant. For those of you who feel like you don't know anything, like Jesus has not known anything and has had to start from the bottom and had to grow. For those of you who just feel immature, not sinfully immature, but just like you need, to, you need to grow up and you need to learn these things. Jesus has been there. If you feel like you're tempted and you're, you're suffering and you're constantly wanting to look back, like Jesus has been there. He has really been tempted. He has really been tried. He really knows what it's like to be weak. And so don't think that you have this God up there who has no idea what your real life is through. Like, he does. All right, people often come to me for counseling, and probably, like, the first question out of their mouth is like, but what have you been through that is exactly like this? And I'm like, uh, like, 
I've never gone through menopause. Like, you know, I, I really don't know. Uh, <laughs> there are times where I have to say, like, I, don't, I, have, I, can't, I can't share this with you. I haven't suffered as much as this. Like, I'm sorry. All right, Jesus, Jesus does not say that. I don't, he hasn't been through menopause, yes. Um, he has been through real suffering. And he's been through things that you've experienced and, and so much more. All right, he's been totally hated by his, his whole family who thought he was insane and tried to like, pull him out of the synagogue because he's talking crazy stuff. We have someone who, who spent his whole life healing people and, and serving people and all anyone did was hate him for it. Who, when he healed people on the Sabbath, they said, don't break the Sabbath, and, and despised him for his goodness. That he, he had disciples who followed him for years and years and who made all these vows that they would love him forever and follow him wherever and go to the cross for him, and then everyone vanished. That Jesus, the, the real God, God himself was just called a fool, was called powerless, was called an idiot, was called a liar, smeared up and down all of Israel. That the church even failed him and rejected him. These people who were supposed to see him and receive him with open arms, they, they just totally let him down. All right, Jesus has run the gauntlet of suffering. He knows where you stand. He knows what you need. He knows what it's like. We have a high priest who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. And that's why we give you nothing but Jesus, because Jesus needs to be your priest. Jesus needs to be your counselor. He needs to be the one getting you through these things, the one fighting for you. Don't let anyone else have that role. It needs to be Jesus. All right. What do, I, what do I call you to do now? What do you do with this? All right, I did this kind of out of order because at the beginning of this passage are where the commands are, the things that you're supposed to do. And so looking back on this chapter 4, we're told to, to press on, to keep going. Verse 14, Since then we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. All right, keep believing, keep fighting, keep running forward. That you have a high priest who made the perfect sacrifice. He will see you through. He will wash you clean. He will present you perfect to God. Keep running after Jesus. Keep holding fast faith. It goes on, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. All right. In every respect, has been tempted as we are. He's felt the, the very depths of it. And yet, the, the amazing thing is, uh, he didn't sin. All right, what's the easiest thing to, do, to, to get out of temptation? To sin. All right, if you're like, oh, I'm being so tempted to sin, like, oh, if I sin, the temptation goes away. All right, Jesus never did that. He never did that. When he felt desire and temptation, like, he had to let it die inside of him. And he killed the desire. He killed the temptation. He didn't feed it with sin. And that's where we have this guy fighting for us in heaven. 
who knows exactly how hard it is, and he knows far more. He has fought and he has killed every single desire, every temptation. He can help you. And he desperately wants to help you. He's not judging you. He's, wanting, he's sympathizing with your weakness and calling you to, to run to him. That's where verse 16 ends it. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That Jesus sits on the throne of grace where he, just, he, he gives us gifts that we need in our trials. We often think, think of grace as forgiveness for sin, which it is. But they're gifts of all sorts, like the gift of faith, the gift of trust, the gift of hope, the gift of encouragement, the gift of salvation, that he knows that we need these things. And the author is pleading, like, go to your high priest, ask him for these things, run to him. He cares. He wants to help you. Please don't try to do the Christian life without Jesus. That's just foolishness. Keep running to Jesus for the things that you need. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. Any questions? Yeah. Sorry? She's crazy. <laughs> she won't give us a break. <laughs> we give up. <laughs> Any questions? Yeah, Dan. Um, this idea of learned obedience. Yes, learned obedience. Right. 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 So how does it become a learned experience? Okay. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, yeah. So this is confusing because we think, okay, if you if you grew, and if you matured, you must have grown grown from from sin and failure. All right. No. I'm gonna say that like the person, the person who grew up in like a little greenhouse of perfection <laughs> all right maybe they like you could say they didn't sin very much and you're like oh great um but they'd still be immature because they'd never have to face trial you'd never know what was going on in their hearts because it was never tested if you if you raised your kid and said like oh like you'll never have to make a hard choice you'll never have an opportunity to sin so you'll be perfect Yes, they would be, in some sense, perfect, but they'd be so immature. Because if they ever get out of that little box, they'll be utterly destroyed by all their temptations, and they'll, they'll have no real root. They won't have anything deep going on. Because they'll have never really fought anything. They'll have never faced a temptation. They'll never have made a choice between good and evil. And so I think that's where, that's where we're looking at Jesus. And we're saying, he wasn't, he wasn't sinning and then stopped sinning. It's just that he learned the, the depth by which he was called to have faith and the depth by which he was called to, like, to obey and how much love really requires of him, even death itself, that he learned those things through suffering because that's really the only way to learn them. Any other questions? All right.
I hope this is a slightly different view you have of Jesus and that it helps you that you see that the richness of the gospel, how much Jesus has really done. And honestly, how much we have not done that we in our humanity have, and even in the spirit, have fallen. We cannot do this without Jesus. We desperately need him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that that you were just so gracious in giving us a high priest in Jesus. Jesus, we thank you that you were weak on our behalf. We thank you that you were tempted and tried and that you are not judgmental, that you are not just calling us to, to try harder, but you give us the things that we need because you needed those same things. And Father, we thank you to give, give, us, give us far more than what Jesus needed. You give us Jesus as a sacrifice for sin, that you've called us perfect, and now you've given us the gifts that we need to, to persevere in believing in Jesus. So Father, would you give us great perseverance? But most of all, would you give us a desire to, to run to Jesus and to look for the gifts that he has, to look to the one who is sympathetic for our needs and will, will dole out gifts from the throne of grace. Father, we thank you for Jesus. Would you keep us running towards him? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, good morning, Reach Church. So if kids